When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Furious Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Breffitt. Chris, today we are in the Marvel Universe. That's the Marvel Cinematic Universe today. Again, this is happening more quickly for us now. It's It's an exciting change, honestly, because when we started the show in early fall of 2019, you know, it was right before the MCU took a big break. And now we're back in it. We're all the way back in it. Just fully immersed. We've got Disney Plus shows coming out, happening. Mm -hmm. We've got three big releases, though. Only really two were phase four. I guess we'll count Black Widow because it did pass the mantle. Yeah, that was technically the first one of this new phase. It's funny, Chris, because we are recording this moments before spider-man comes out like spider-man's coming out as we're talking which is a very crazy thing you and i will be going to see it we will have content on the show about it as well but we knew we had to get eternals out before spider-man and we wanted to do what we do with shang chi where we give you guys some time to see it in theaters especially with the state of the world before we did our spoiler episode on the eternals but spider-man's coming out right now and Eternals will be out on streaming next year. And then, of course, Chris, we're in the throes of Hawkeye. I mean, there's so much going on, man. It, it, it's a good time to be a Marvel fan and, of course, a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan because this is the beginning of the new world. Phase four is upon us. The first big movie in the phase is, like you said, it's coming out right now. So the next few years of our MCU viewing experience is going to be coming into a little bit more focus after Spider-Man, maybe, but Spider-Man might be big enough that we don't get big implications. I think it's going to set up a lot. I think it'll probably set up a lot, but it's going to be... Do you think it'll be subtle, or do you think it's going to be like in the face like Thanos was at the end, uh, in that one post-credit scene? His first post-credit scene. I think by the end of Spider-Man, not only will have all the crazy Spider-Man things happen with all the Spider-Villains and all the merging of universes of Sony and everything, but I think it also... The door will be open fully to this new phase, and rightfully so, because the next movie after Spider-Man, Chris, which is coming out right now, is the spring 
Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's almost going to be like, I'm assuming, a soft sequel to this Spider-Man movie. Because this we've, we've been told now, for sure, this is a Peter Parker, Stephen Strange movie. And then we're going to have the Stephen Strange movie right after that. And a lot of multiverse stuff. So, let me get this straight. We are at the end of Loki. We are standing in, you know, Houston, in in mission control and we are watching right. these timelines we are at the that moment right before the one timeline splits off into just infinite trees we are on the precipice of this opening up and it's very exciting i'm i am extremely excited to see where they go with phase 4 i don't know that it's going to be as big of a commercial success as the first iteration with you know the first avengers and everything like that but personally yeah. i'm excited to see what storytelling risks they're going to take it's opened up into a full superhero world whereas in iron man one you know it was still very grounded in reality until tony built the suit and then it kind of opened up it definitely opened up and next year things are going to open a lot chris i mean I'm very excited because we have Thor 4, Love and Thunder. We also have Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, and then the Marvels. These are all slated for 2022, but then 2023, we've got Guardians 3, Ant-Man 3, Fantastic Four, Blade, and then you sandwich in all these shows all over the place, right? We've got shows like Hawkeye now, but of course, many more shows coming next year onward. There's a lot going on. And they're colliding with a lot of storylines, universes. They're getting bold. And that's what's most exciting to me. And I think it's going to be a theme of our discussion today with the Eternals. Despite some missteps in the MCU right now, I like these bold decisions, probably from Feige, and then they kind of get more creative and spread out right below. But they're taking creative risks finally in the MCU. The stories are deviating a little bit. The stylistic choices are deviating a little bit. You know, we're not having that kind of Starbucks cookie cutter experience with every MCU movie outside of, you know, occasionally there's a Taika or someone who comes in and does something. But like, we're not having that kind of visual editing, writing, all being 80% the same. They're really branching out a lot. And I mean, case in point, even shows as simple as like the Miss Marvel show, which was not made for you and I. It's more like a Disney show, a Disney Channel show. In fact, these are risks they're taking that I think are going to be really nice. I really do. And not everything's going to be for everyone. And that's kind of cool, honestly. I think that's great. And, you know, that's kind of consistent with what Disney's been doing in the Star Wars universe as well. So it makes sense that we're seeing it on a kind of a smaller scale with the MCU. Because, of course, Star Wars spans comics, novels, television, and silver screen. But MCU is just just TV and, and, and theaters at this at this moment. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see where we're going. I'm excited to see how we get there. I'm excited to see what exciting new characters they're going to be introducing. They're already taking some some kind of awkward risks in this movie with the introduction of some characters. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm so interested to see... Mostly how we get there and honestly, who gets us there? Some of these, who is going to direct a lot of these movies is extremely interesting. Absolutely. And we can't forget the incredible year we're going to have next year with the television shows, Chris. It's just, they're my number one MCU content right now. And I only think it's going to grow with additions, you know, shows like Hawkeye finishing and then additions of shows next year. 
like Moon Knight, like She-Hulk, ugh, like Secret Invasion. Stop. It's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be interesting. I can't wait. I can't wait, too, because kind of like you said with Star Wars, I think Disney Marvel is going to take even more risks because Star Wars always has to be a certain, not an exact way, but a certain feel. And what's cool, what they're doing with these shows with Marvel, that's not going to be the case with the Marvel shows. Because like I said, we're going to have shows like Miss Marvel, which is more like a Disney Channel original show. We're going to have shows like Moon Knight, which are more like an HBO show. They're going to break barriers more with the shows first, which we've already seen this year. And you and I have talked about throughout our episodes this year. I think that's going to be positive because it's going to trickle into the movies subtly and it's going to give them more confidence to take more risks. That's what I think they should do. Now, what they actually do next year, we will see in the cinematic silver screen, like you said. But I think it's going to happen. I think Shang-Chi and Eternals are proof of that. Absolutely. The, the real question is to see what characters audiences are going to latch on to mm-hmm. or, or what characters just aren't going to get over. You really can't tell. The biggest risk they're taking is asking us to care about all of these new characters that they're introducing so fast. It's a lot to ask of an audience, so we'll see how it develops. But uh, Jesse, I think it's about time to start diving into the Eternals. We're not quite there yet. We're not quite at the universe opening up. We're just, just at the edge. So let's talk about this movie that did a lot of setup for that big expansion of the universe. But before we do that, we got to take care of a little business. Fury's Finest is supported by Discount Games, Inc. Go to discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoyed the show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. This week, we have a very, very special, very heartfelt, sincere thank you to Felix W. Thank you, Felix. And of course, we couldn't do the show without our Avenger producers, Zach Attack, Rusty, Keith, and Dylan. They are our Fantastic Four. If you'd like to become a producer and hear your name read every week, check out the producer tier on Furious Finest. There's only so many left, Chris, but these people keep the show running and keep the lights on. Thank you so, so much, guys. All right, Chris, let's get into our discussion of the Eternals. We need a Furious Finest proprietary scale here. I've got it. I've got it. Who's the worst character in MCP? I know it's a small band. We're not saying who's just the weakest at the moment. That's a very hard question now. It's an extremely hard question. My gut would tell you in the past, Iron Man, Bullseye, and Bucky, but look where they are now, right? I've got it. On a scale of corset Iron Man to Hulkbuster Iron Man, where do you rate this movie? This movie's tough, Chris, and I don't really quite have all the answers with this movie. I will say of that ranking scale, it falls right in the middle. Because there's a lot of high highs and there's a lot of low lows for me personally. And that's okay. Because I think the risks this movie takes outweigh some of the movie construction issues. Now, I know it's not the best content to agree with you, but I agree with you. And folks, you heard it here first. Eternals gets a finest score of Cyclops. A lot of (laughs) dice, high highs. Low lows. Sometimes you play MCP, sometimes you don't. Sometimes he hits and you have the greatest time of your life, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. And you would have rather just taken Black Panther. So, a little bit of backstory on this. 
if you haven't heard our Shang-Chi episode, definitely check it out. It was episode 75 of Fury's Finest, where we went through the entire movie, because I think what's going to be fun about these episodes, Chris, is you and I are just going to piggyback off of the last episode in some ways, and we kind of already did that in the intro. A lot of discussion about what's happening in our world with the MCU, but what's also happening in the world of the MCU. So check that out if you haven't listened to Shang-Chi, because we're probably going to pick up a lot of points of that today. But also, interesting setting of the stage today here, Chris. I saw this movie on November 4th, 6 p.m. in town, the earliest showing on the earliest day. You just saw this film, and I think that's going to give us some interesting insight on the lenses we view this film today, I hope. Well, Jesse, you're absolutely right. I think we are going to have different insights. We've talked about this movie several times with each other. We actually haven't talked about it with each other, having both seen it yet. So this is this is the first time we're going to be talking about it. Yep. I really, really went in really kind of hoping <laughs> to not like the movie in a weird way. Because I wanted to, I, I mean, it's really dumb, but I wanted to seem more critical because I always like, I always like everything, you know? <laughs> no, you don't, Chris. No, I don't, don't. I you don't, really but don't. I usually like the MCU. My Star Wars fan here is saying Chris definitely doesn't like everything. <laughs> I love Star Wars now, Jesse. It's true. Um, but <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying is I, I knew a little bit about the movie. There were no twists or turns for me. I knew the plot going in, but... Mm-hmm. And it could be just about how beautiful the movie is, but I thoroughly enjoyed my theater experience watching this movie, though I understand the criticisms and I'm not going to argue with any of them. Well, that's a ringing endorsement right there, though, is if you can see this in the theater, definitely do that. Because unfortunately, Chris, the way this movie is shot, the way it's more of a world building exposition dump movie with a story built in. Yeah, a lot of narrative. It really helps to see this in a theater because it is a theater experience. I say that with every MCU movie because I genuinely do believe that with every MCU movie and just most movies in general. But this in particular, it is very visual. It's very sound driven. It's very world building focused. And if you can see it before it comes out on streaming next year, I highly recommend it because it certainly increased my enjoyment of it. And I will say that's probably the first strike against the movie, Chris. It's a very long movie. It's one of the longest MCU movies period. And that's saying a lot with movies like Infinity War and Endgame existing, or these ensemble movies. This is an ensemble movie of sorts, but it's not Avengers ensemble. And for it to be that long and to be that exposition heavy and that world building heavy, I foresee it being a harder watch at home. I'm going to be honest. Like, And that's a weird thing to say. You put yourself in saying, oh, I have to sit in my seat a long time in theater. But true, but you're kind of immersed in the world more. At home, I feel like this nearly three hour movie is going to be a bit of a slog unless you've got like a really crazy system and no children or dogs or distractions. But you know, that's very unlikely uh, for a lot of people. So I don't know. That's kind of my first thoughts. I am usually not as big on the theater as you are, but in this case, I agree. It helped me lock in and focus uh, the whole movie really, really listen and understand what they were saying and doing and being able to see some things in the background. Yeah, I, I agree. And honestly, it's a beautiful movie. It's it's very well shot. The effects are pretty good. But overall, the just the vision aesthetically is awesome. Yeah. And let's start talking about that vision and kind of how the movie works, Chris, especially because you saw it just now. It time jumps a lot, which is pretty unique for an MCU movie. And confusing. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to follow if you're invested in, but I'm not saying that's 
isn't that the key to a good MCU movie is that it draws in those that are not already invested. Correct. That's what made it such a huge success. Yes. And this movie does none of that. Well, and I think we're about to hit on one of my main points with this movie, Chris, and I know this is a perfect world type scenario. You know, this is nearly a three hour movie. I feel like if this was two two hour movies, number one, being the mainly focused on the backstory and everything that happened in the past, and then number two, being the present day onward stuff, it might have been better. It might have been worse. I don't know. It's just an idea I have. There was a lot squeezed into this runtime of nearly three hours. And that's saying something because it's a long runtime. There's a lot here though. There's a lot. And it's if, like you said, for the uninitiated or maybe the new Marvel fans or the Marvel fans are into the cosmic stuff. And frankly, someone like me into some of the elements of cosmic, but not really knowledgeable on the Eternals, you can get lost. And it, sh- it could have been two movies, honestly, and been more digestible. Yeah. It could have also been a really great miniseries. It would have been better, probably, as a miniseries. Yes, but I do not believe it would have gotten the exposure that they wanted it to have as a miniseries. Because I think we're going to see some of these characters again. Oh, absolutely. I'm not mad at that at all, because this brings me to my next point. <laughs> the acting's pretty good. The acting's pretty good, and the casting is good, too. And it's getting harder and harder for the MCU to cast people in general well, everybody wants that marvel money baby everybody does and also they've kind of got this fine line they don't quite do the star wars thing where star wars usually goes fully unknown or just like people rising but they never go higher than that unless there's like a veteran that they just need like someone like an Guinness to play old obi-wan to mm-hmm. kind of rein it yep. in but everyone else completely unknowns this they kind of did a similar thing but not really i mean they had a lot of rising stars in this a lot of actors that a lot of people know, but they can't exactly pinpoint one particular role for them. You know, let's start with the lead of Jim Chan. My wife and I really love Jim Chan, everything we've seen her in, but she's mainly been in television shows. And for her to kind of be our POV lead character in this, even though there's many lead characters, is really cool. But then they get someone like Richard Madden, who's he's definitely got some fame, but he's not quite, you know, he's not at the level a lot of these. MCU actors are. These were good decisions they made, I think. I I, I find it very interesting. Some of the people they cast, you know? I mean, I don't know. What do you think? There's a couple of just standouts here. Of course. And that's Selma Hayek, Angelina Jolie. Very interesting. I honestly thought Angelina was awesome. I did not like her acting the character at the beginning of the movie, but by the end... I really was, I was convinced because, because of some of the plot things and, and some story, but yeah, I, I I really thought she did a good job. What I love when they bring people like Angelina Jolie and Selma Hayek in the MCU, but they sometimes get actors and actresses who haven't been in some things for a while, at least in the main public eye. And then, but you know, their names, you know, their face, but then they bring them in they do something different with them. Like they did with these two individuals in this movie. That was a high point for me. We talk about side characters. No one's a side character in this, technically, Chris. That's what's crazy. But right, Brian Tyree Henry, everything he's in is he's stellar. And he's usually a side part, but I don't know. He was awesome. Yeah, he was good. There's a lot of good decisions they made. It's just a very big cast. You know what I'm saying? So to a uninitiated or even just someone who's like very into the MCU, but they don't know about the cosmic stuff. It's a lot to keep up with, right? But I mean, we also had Lauren Ridolph as Makari, and we had Barry Keoghan. He has that very Irish Gaelic name that I never had to pronounce as Drug. And they did a good job as well, had less a part in the movie. And then we even had characters like 
Leah McHugh as Sprite and Kumali Nanjani as Kingo. And Kumali, like, he's probably the biggest, he's not the biggest, he's probably the most recognizable of the new faces in this. And they used him quite well, too. So I like what they did with this cast. And it's very, it's, it's a big cast. I honestly cannot believe Kamal is a, is a superhero now. That's just, come on, dude. That's so weird. And he's so jacked. <laughs> he's so God, He's just jacked to the gills. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. He was like nerd out of shape, you know? Yes. Like, as in like, not like he was never overweight or obese or anything, like that, but he was just, he was not an athletic guy. And now he's like. Now he's a body guy. Now he's an action hero. Yeah, now he's probably calling Henry Cavill for advice or something in the gym, you know? It's getting ridiculous. Can't wait for Witcher Season 2. Anyway. Oh, man. Can you tell? We can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) The other big surprise for me in the movie was Don Lee. Of course. As Gilgamesh. Incredible. He was not in the movie a ton, but his presence is felt throughout the movie. Excellent performance on a really weird role. Really weird role. And like, he's a huge, huge Korean actor. And like, when they do these things, Chris, where it's like, they get actors that are huge in other countries. I think it's just super cool because obviously to different viewers, Korean viewers, Don Lee, you know, his real name is Ma Dong Seok. He is, he's like Brad Pitt level over there, man. Like he, he's in everything. <laughs> That's awesome. It's incredible. It's <laughs> maybe, incredible. Maybe I need to watch more Korean film then. I mean, definitely watch Train to Busan if you haven't seen that. Right. But right. that's a great one. But he's he's in there. But he has worked so much in his life. And he. I always love seeing people from other countries that don't even speak English as their first language get to be part of the MCU and then truly add more to the MCU, you know? No complaints. They did a great job just doing that in this movie the diversity in the cast is great and speaking of diversity lauren ridolph who plays makari she's actually a deaf american actress and you know she's deaf in the film but like she's actually deaf so these are the type of things that i think they kind of nailed with this movie i mean you want to talk about representation and a sprawling cast of different ages and this is a high point of this movie 100 percent agreed so let's talk a little bit about some of the low points of the movie. Well, we did talk about the time jumps. I think that's a low point and a high point simultaneous. That's not saying I know how the perfect way to fix it, Chris, but I don't know if that came across to you. It was really cool to see ancient times, ancient cosmic places, the whole history of the deviants, a lot going on, right? A lot. A lot of big asks, too. Ajax backstory, because we Ajax's entire story is all in backstory, essentially. Selma Hayek, right? Yep. Because we are in spoiler territory now, guys, if you haven't thought so already. We definitely are now. Whoops. And I don't know. I think that's a, since it was taking risks, it's a win for me. And it's really visually cool and immersive and all this stuff. But then also, like you said, Chris, some of it's a big swing and a miss because some of it just doesn't work in the structure of the film. Yes, the time jumps absolutely were a little bit um, disorienting. And so you kind of got the cadence of them, but by the time you get the cadence, they're kind of done. It's true. I mean, it didn't take me out of the movie or anything, so it's kind of a minor quibble. One of the other things, one of my other big things is, it's a very tough question. What the question that they were asked and the question they're asking the audience essentially is, are you going to care about these characters? And they try to make you, but ultimately it's very, very hard to. And It's not enough time. All of these actors just put in so much 
I mean, they acted their asses off. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Like, I know that's I know that's mm-hmm. usually used as kind of a negative or whatever, but they really tried to inject as much believable personality into each character without being ham-fisted about it mm-hmm. as they could. And they did a great job. But like you said, just not enough time to make us really, really care about these characters. I think I left the film wanting to see Cersei more in the MCU. Sure. Of course. I thought she was awesome. It's kind of her story, right? They kind of give her the most time. They really did, but I think Barely, it was the though. right choice. But yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the right choice. But yeah, otherwise, I just, I don't know that I cared. It was cool to see Kit Harrington Just setting him up. It was. But it was cool to see him and uh, Richard Madden in mm. a shot together. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that was very confusing. As uh, if it <laughs> Yeah, it, it stirred fan. some things, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Well, and also, like, as I've already mentioned many times before, Chris, and you know, I'm a huge Henry Cavill fan. It actually grows more by the day, as you know. Uh, I love the man oh, so I'm, much. Oh, I'm right there with you. But it is uncanny. Richard Madden, in this movie in particular, him getting jacked with his haircut, and then, he of course, him flying around and shooting red lasers from his eyes. I mean, it is uncanny how much he is similar to Cavill's Kal-El. They even poke fun of that in the movie, which I, I thought was a was a great touch. Little little DC, you know, references here and there were very fun. Yeah. I was laughing pretty hard because I had already made that joke many times. Says, you know, on this very show, oh, of course, you and, and I had written that way. Yeah. yeah, he's just Icarus is written that way, of course. And but when we actually saw Icarus in the trailers and stuff, it was just much more apparent. And then, of course, they go with a guy, Richard Madden, a dark-haired, semi-wavy-haired guy with a cleft chin, and you know, he's getting jacked now. And you know, it's all there. We got Kal El, and you know, I'm a huge Superman fan, so my brain just goes there. And it's because it's my dad's number one superhero. That's just how it goes. Uh, that gets passed on to you in some way. You know, it didn't happen for me. My dad's was Thor and Spider-Man. You like those characters. I like them. They're not my favorites. And I'm not, I'd, and well, I wouldn't Superman's say I'm a huge, favorite, as you know, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of either. Uh, I am a huge fan of Miles Morales, Spider-Man though. A Spider-Man. Yeah. Big fan there. The listeners know Spider-Man's my number one and I was passed down for my dad as well. But I would say if I had to question my dad, is it Spider-Man or Superman? He would say Superman, definitely. But Richard Madden's Icarus, I actually thought. I was kind of worried they were going to make him wooden the whole time. And I thought he actually did a lot of good things with the role. And we see that by the end. He's got some depth to the character. He does. And let's be honest, the depth to the character is he's a jerk. Mm -hmm. He's like a demigod, quite literally. Whoa. Yeah. From humanity. And a lot of that by choice, by Mm -hmm. his own choosing. Yeah. But he's 100%, I think, a bigger jerk than early Bucky Barnes. Okay. Just yeah. like personality-wise. Yeah, just definitely. He's just kind of an a-hole. And he's actually wise. Early Bucky Barnes is very naive and boyish and, you know, crass and all this stuff. But Icarus is like, he's seen stuff. He could choose the right thing, maybe. He could. He absolutely could. In the end, mm-hmm. he knew he was wrong even when he was standing up for the wrong thing. He just didn't want to admit that he was wrong. It was him coping with all of these revelations they were dealing with by doubling down. We all know folks like that. It is a very human Mm -hmm. trait. And that's what's kind of brilliant about the Eternals, because they're not human. They're not. Jesse, they're robots. They are robots. That's a nice twist they give in the audience in this movie too, right? How the Eternals were actually created. And I think that part was executed well. Chris, we're talking about exposition dumps that were kind of strange. That one worked. 
there's a very interesting lore expedition exposition dump in this movie, and that is when talking about the deviants, right? They did not mention Thanos. So in the MCU, it seems Thanos is not a deviant, which is interesting. I kind of like that. Could be a big deal uh, in the future. Could also just be a simple oversight by an intern or something. Who knows? <laughs> but very cool. Disney owns this company. <laughs> There's no oversights. To quote Palpatine, everything is going as has been foreseen. Right. <laughs> right. But you're right. I mean, like, there's a lot going on here. I think Jim and Chan is, she's incredible. She's a she's, wonderful human being. And she nailed this character, this lead character. Incredibly. I feel like she did it almost effortlessly. And I'm not saying that to say that she wasn't putting in a lot of effort, but she does such a good job of portraying all of the core tenets of this character in, in every scene. It's really, she's really good. And you know, it's wild about jim and chan chris you know she was already in the mcu one time before she was dr minerva and captain marvel oh no it's just proven now that they're they're completely open to doing the mahershala ali thing you know i know luke cage is a show but it's one of those things like blade coming i don't want them to put themselves in a, a tight box unless it's just a major movie or you know dr minerva like she was a cree Doctor Soldier with Captain Marvel on the early Kree missions, and that was her only role in the movie. And it's just, it's a very separate character from Cersei. And I think that's pretty cool that she got to play two characters in the MCU. It's just a fun trivia fact. It'll happen on Trivia Night. You're ready for it now. You are ready for it. And I am also very jealous of her. Yeah. That's really cool. Complete opposite characters. In Captain Marvel, she was the sniper Kree lady. Very ruthless. Interesting twist, you know, we've, and we've kind of got this now. Cersei's a completely new hero character for the MCU, Chris, in a lot of ways. I find that pretty interesting, too. She wasn't a reluctant hero ever, but she wasn't ever the main like hero's journey hero through the movie. They kind of snuck it in on you, right? Mm -hmm. She had this love for Good humanity thought. the whole time, and the love hum for humanity, you know, people of Earth give me your energy happened, you know, at the end, of course. She got to kind of Goku it, go spirit bomb, and... It's not that she was reluctant. It's just that at the very end, she she stepped up to the challenge. And I think Icarus helped with that because he was so oppositional and he actually was the villain the whole time. And that was actually one of those MCU things where I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, ah, the deviants were just a subterfuge the whole time again. We just have a generic faceless bad guy, you know, who's CGI'd, you know, and the real villain yeah. is here the whole time. Iron Man 3 right all over Right in front again. of your face, just beefcaking all over. <laughs> Not a Stark anymore. And I mean, no, I the Starks <laughs> are the bad guys anyway. <laughs> Man, that's a different discussion entirely. <laughs> it is, and I feel strongly on it. Anyway. Wow. We're going to have to leave that there. Let's move on to where we kind of spin off from this, because you guys don't need it. You've either seen it or you haven't. You don't need us to break down the plot point by point. This is one of those movies where I don't think we can break down the plot, Chris, like we've done our other MCU movies. It's it's not very no. helpful. It's an exposition dump movie. We can probably do more of that in Spider-Man, because Spider-Man's going to have plot-specific points that matter to the character of Spider-Man and what the future of the MCU. This is more like, here's the whole history of the Eternals, and here's what they're doing in Phase 4 at the very end, Right. Yes, you're absolutely <laughs> correct. And let's talk about that. Where are we spinning off from here? Because we have we have a few things confirmed in the closing credits of this movie, of course. Kit Harrington is the next Black Knight. Very cool. Very cool. 
a character that's not that popular, which will now be very popular. Well, maybe we'll see how Kit does, and I'm we'll sure see what they do with the character. You know, he's popped back up in the Marvel timeline, of course, because he's about to have a movie. So we'll see, but it's not been my favorite character in Marvel history, but that's okay. They have a chance to redo things. Moon Knight was changed. You know, everybody was changed. We talk about it every week when we do a character episode about especially the ones that have been around for a while. They all get some new thing, some new direction, and it was usually during the extreme 90s. Which we love. (laughs) Oh, we do love. They're back. They're back big. That's true. But we're getting kit. Yeah. Sorry for the tangent. (laughs) We're getting the Black Knight. We saw Harry Styles as Star Fox, Eros, and the best part about that scene is Pip is in the MCU, (laughs) baby. We are one step closer to Howard the Duck. We're getting there, baby. My parallel, I mentioned earlier, Jim and Chan coming full circle. You know, now we have Pat Oswald as Modoc and as Pip. I think they're going to do stuff like that in the future. Like, I don't think that ruled out us getting Modoc in the MCU one day. I think it just confirmed oh, that no. Patton's working with them now. And who's to say that Modoc can't just be in some show at some point in the future, which is probably what's going to happen. The Modoc show is set in a different of course. universe from the MCU. So there's no weird canonical things here. But I will say, if you haven't seen the Modoc show, go watch it. It's oh, yeah. delightful. Absolutely delightful. But. So we we get this, and we also, Mm -hmm. Eros is Thanos' brother. Yes, we know. Does that make Thanos an Eternal? Right. Good question. Because he's not a Deviant. He might be an Eternal here. So we might be dealing with the Eternals for a long time in the MCU. But also, this this might be their swan song here in uh, Phase 4. They might be bye-bye. Who knows? Yeah, they might not come back for a while, but that's okay. Hmm. The Thanos thing is interesting. I That just has me excited because potentially we get more Thanos backstory in the future. <laughs> you know? Yep. More of Josh. More Gamora? Yeah, more Gamora. Yes, please. More Nebula? Yep. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Eros, and you also mentioned <laughs> Pip, which is, you know, that's a post-credit. There's a lot going on in this movie. Dude, Pip the troll. And, you know, now that they're in the MCU, come on, man. Are we going to have an Eternals affiliation in, in MCP? Are we going to get Pip the Troll and MCP? I, I'm i very excited for these things. They are all intertwined. Random thought I had, how crazy it was when Makari almost beat Icarus with all of her speed. And it, it was like, the way that was filmed and the choreography, it was like feeling like this is the most accurate we've ever seen to the mutant Quicksilver type power. It was incredible. Uh, no, I think that was just the best a speedster has been portrayed mm-hmm. in film. That's that's what it so is. So far. Yeah. I mean, how many different flashes have we seen and they're all bad? Right. Yeah, sure. We've seen two Quicksilvers and one was okay and one was bad. Yeah. I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it was very cool. Well, this is the type of stuff we're talking about, Chris. These are the high points. Like, you mentioned Angelina earlier as Thea. Like, she was awesome. Her costume, her weapons, the way she fought, it was so believable. And then, oh, of course, dude. the character, yeah. the halfway point onward- is so much more compelling because of what she's mm-hmm. dealing with. And it kind of leads us to actually figure out that the Eternals are robots because of her. Right. And it's a crucial part of the movie. Angelina Jolie was stellar, as you mentioned. I really think the energy her and Don Lee had on screen together was really cool, too. Their scenes were cool and interesting. Absolutely. They were very interesting. 
Now, we haven't got to talk about, other than him being ripped, we haven't got to talk about Kamai. He was pretty funny. And, you know, he was doing the MCU humor thing. He had to be, which which was good. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up yeah. there. But I mean, let's let's be honest. He was he was carrying <laughs> the weight of of comedy for this whole movie. That's true. It's pretty stark. And I think Brian Tyree Henry, uh, uh, Fastos, he got me once, twice. I think. Yeah, definitely. But it was all Camille, man. Yeah, he was great. And well, and also too, you got to think about. His powers are not that fantastical. I mean, he shoots projectile energy from his hands. That's about it. So them kind of leaning into him being more of a humorous character on top of that. And then of course he became this huge Bollywood star. I mean, what a what a fun real world twist to all of it. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. I liked the portrayal. I liked the character. He was very funny. His scenes were good. And it's just cool. He's he's and he's a superhero now, and that just makes me happy. Oh, well, and of course we have to talk about the actor Harish Patel who played Karun, which was Kingo's director valet you know butler all the things <laughs> there's some good comedy there it was good and he brought some interesting perspective and either even he's a human helped humanize the character ah uh, yes i think he was really kind of a turning point for icarus in things and then you know he really helped bring everybody together by reminding them what they were fighting for and just that he, you know, just by being thankful and being nice and, and looking up to them. And it was very, I don't know. It was cool. We'll talk about a couple more low points here. This movie, Chris, I, I sang the praises of the speedster fight and even the fight with the curse at the end, the stakes were there. Nothing really overstayed. You know, as you said, Fastos using his gift was really cool in that fight as well. You know, there's a lot of things going on. Jim and Chan, of course, trying to ascend the peak of the volcano and deal with the celestial. Cause that's a big threat, but I will oh, yeah. say all the fights before that, all the fights against the Deviants were just run-of-the-mill MCU sort of like shots, fights. I mean, there was a couple cool moments, of course, in these fights. Cannot discredit that. One of the most notable ones, of course, is Cersei killing one of the Deviants once she was in the water. Turning it into a tree. Yeah, that's cool. Was very cool. That's some Mother Earth Gaia stuff. And I found myself wanting that prop in my yard. Yes, definitely. But outside of that, most of the fights were kind of like Richard Madden supermaning around, punching deviants, lasering them with his eyes. You know, it just was a lot of run-of-the-mill superhero action. I think this gets into some of the issues that you and I were talking about. That seems like a Marvel Disney decision, just add more action because this is so much exposition. But truthfully, they could have shaved off at least five or ten minutes of action and we start getting a more bearable, enjoyable movie because it just feels more cohesive. But sometimes the action scenes went on pretty long. I don't think they needed to. It's hard to keep agreeing with you, bud. But uh, yeah. The final fight's the only one that truly matters, right? So, I mean, could we shave some time off some of the other ones? Yeah, I think so. And I also think we could have shaved some time off of some, just some of the exposition. Or maybe some of the... I think we could have dropped a little bit of the character building. Some of the... You know, some of the jokes that weren't funny, some of the scenes that didn't quite land, I think we could have left some of it, but I understand why it was there, and overall, I'm not mad. And like I said, overall, I really enjoyed the movie. It has a lot of flaws, though, and that's okay. We haven't really talked about Sprite much yet. You want to talk about her? Um, Because you saw it most recently. Sprite didn't hit for me. Yeah. I think she hit for me, but I think she hit the least of everybody. That might be it. And that's saying something. I mean, I mean, like you said, this cast was really working really hard. So it's, you almost got to put it in perspective. I'm kind of sad that uh, Leah McHugh 
has been cast in the MCU already because the whole time she is Sprite, I could own like I could not stop seeing her as Rain Sinclair. Whoa! In a new in a New Mutants yeah. show or something. I just definitely that is unfortunate for her. But yeah, I mean the overall Sprite story didn't hit as hard as it kind of should have. Didn't care that she wanted to be human. I don't know. And they even like spoon feed to you in the movie that they're like, if you're yes. not getting what the story is, she literally is the Tinkerbell story in love with Peter Pan, right. wants to become human, wants to be with Peter Pan, wants to be free of this magical lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like they, it's a little ham fisted in that way, but I mean, it helps the audience because it's a story we all know, but I didn't need them referencing it. You know, <laughs> they do reference it, but right. That's that sort of issue the MCU has sometimes. They just really lean to pop culture references without the audience just assuming it, which I think they probably would have assumed from the story because, I mean, Sprite has a very Tinkerbell vibe. That's part of her thing, you know? Extremely, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it'll help uh, It'll help them age a little bit better mm-hmm. over explaining the pop culture references maybe, because maybe pop less. culture references <laughs> are not evergreen, but that also could be true. It could Maybe it's a double-edged sword. Who knows? Ask me again in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, great questions for the future. Future selves, you know? And it's that sort of thing. Like, very well-known pop culture obviously has a certain longevity and it works, you know? And I think, obviously, Peter Pan's one of those things. Sometimes the MCU, it ventures out and kind of goes modern pop culture and it just just does not hit for me at all. But, you know, Star-Lord calling Thanos an ugly grimace, that's good. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> Grimace has been around a long time. We know that, you know, and Peter Pan, that works too. But sometimes they, they reference very current stuff and I'm just like, oh man, man, that's not going to work like 20 years from now, but maybe it will. So Sprite's the weakest link, but we got to get back to positive things, Chris, about this movie because we, we have talked about negatives and for the record, you and I both did enjoy it despite its issues. But I think a big positive for me of the exposition of the flashbacks was some of the really cool dramatic moments in humanity that the Eternals were present at. Okay, here I can disagree with you. This is good. Those are cringe for me. My favorite part in all of those, like other than the inter-character drama between That's what I'm talking the about, actual Amy, yeah. Eternals, yeah, were those beautiful blue tiled walls of Babylon. Oh, gosh. Excellent, excellent. Well, Babylon Very actually cool. looking like Babylon, at least the way we understand it, was, was cool. Right, but... I also, I got to come clean here. I'm not a historical fiction kind of person. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. I understand this is a different universe. There's a different origin story to that entire universe uh, from from the one we're in. So it doesn't ever really grab me. So and that's probably it. Because I, I really like history and historical fiction if it's done right. It's just cool to me to see historical things in a high budget setting because it's so rare usually outside of World War II which we get completely inundated with. Good point. Good point. So seeing things like Babylon, like you mentioned, or like, you know, the genocide and follow the Mayans, like a lot of things that I did not expect to be in this movie. That one hit me hard. Yeah. That that was probably my favorite, my favorite one as in the way of like it was executed. mm -hmm. It's a very interesting and horrific part of our history as in it absolutely European descendants. And for it to be in the MCU is just a risky thing, Chris, frankly. And it brought a lot of good character drama, like you said. It did. But to me, it also felt a little bit, oh, we have to answer this question of why they didn't interfere all the time. And we got to make it a thing. So, Well, you're talking. (laughs) 
You're talking about the MC here. <laughs> I know. Where characters I know, have man, to talk just, about their intentions all the time rather than just letting the audience feel it. I know. It's very, very comic booky, but it's not very movie. It's one of the reasons I don't like a lot of big budget sci-fi movies mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of people love because they're very exposition heavy and it bothers me. Uh, but I liked Dune, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just a weirdo that can't get his mind right. <laughs> well, Dune's a topic for a bonus episode, but Dune does the thing that Ex- Eternals doesn't do. There's a lot of times where characters are saying absolutely nothing at all. You know exactly what's going on in their head. And I really honestly felt like Chloe Zhao was trying to deliver that at times. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if... She couldn't fully commit. I don't know if it got changed in the in the boardroom execs. Mm-hmm. I, if they were trying to hit maybe these MCU style guides, I don't know. But I felt like it was very, very close to being able to deliver that. And I have a sneaking suspicion there is going to be an excellent fan cut of this movie that is going to give us a very compelling, dramatic movie. Absolutely. It's in there somewhere. It's a Hobbit situation for sure. Bingo. You know, on the nose. It can only be improved by someone with some editing skills shaving things off. You know, and it's going to be a more cohesive narrative, make you feel for the characters more. And that's 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 the nature of filmmaking, Chris. Like that sounds weird to some people sometimes that aren't in the filmmaking world, where it's just like you saying, "If I cut down the runtime, I'm going to make you care about the characters more." But I think this movie. That could happen. I think we cut down the runtime and we could care about the characters more because like you said, the acting is good. It's there. Yep. It's there. It needs to be a little bit more focused on the characters and a little bit focused on the exposition dump of setting up a cosmic phase of the MCU in the future. Bingo. And that's what we're, this is the MCU. This is the life we live. So now we're, we're firmly entrenched with the celestials in the MCU. Very true. So now if you, if you really think about this, we're going from Hawkeye. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which is a story. It's a show about a real, a guy's really bad Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Okay. Christmas holiday. The passing of torch of. Well, uh, yes, but, but at the root of it for my point, like it is a very street <laughs> level show, right? Yes. 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 Eternals. Robots and people were created pre-Genesis. Infinite in scope. Yeah. Because we're talking about we're talking about the celestials who see life in that galaxy. So they're denying so many planets being seeded through their actions. That's heavy stuff. That is galactic civilization stuff. And we also have a show about a guy's bad Christmas. Mm-hmm. I love it. But the through line is these interpersonal dramas they're great just got to focus on that right you've got to focus on the characters in eternals yes you do that was the misstep yeah that's what keeps the movie interesting definitely but that's the through line with the whole mcu and it's just so great and they we're going to build up to some some movie mm-hmm. some some climax that we don't even know that's coming yet we don't even know what it's going to be and i already can't wait and that's why i liked the eternals thank you for coming to my ted talk and also all this is only strengthening kang but i've got to be honest like a lot of this is rightfully so losing general audiences oh for sure like the celestial thing you just mentioned very compelling very interesting i'm a big sci-fi guy i'm a big fantasy guy the whole description you just went through with the celestials and what might happen or what is happening with them now and onward that's not for probably half of the mcu audience out there at least they know that oh i know and that's what makes this very interesting the the right and the wrong of these decisions is very interesting to me 100 percent. and 
hey, look, Thor Dark World wasn't very good. Whether you liked it or not, it wasn't a very good movie. Right. Look what it gave us. You know, what? maybe this phase still needs to find its footing. What did Thor The Dark World give us? Because I, I want to hear what you have to think, say on this, because I, I definitely think oh. it gave us good stuff. Yeah. Well, the two most iconic characters <laughs> in the MCU. Oh, my I, goodness. I really think Thor and Loki are, well, they're both still around. That's the thing. Same as Strange and Spider-Man, right? I mean, like we talk about. Sure, but Thor's been Thor and Loki have been there since the beginning. Right, that's what it is. Is what I'm saying. Doctor Strange is a, is a very late addition, uh, but they've been in every phase, and they're still here, and it's it's very cool. Yeah, and Hemsworth and Hiddleston are not stopping either. No, they both love it, yeah. and uh, and it shows, and I think that's why they work. And it just so happens they got cast as brothers, and all of that stuff. But it feels very right. So yes. Thor The Dark World gave us something really cool, even though the movie wasn't great. No, it's not great, but I think I like it better than a lot of the twos and threes of the MCU Mm -hmm. because the proof is in the pudding. Like, the fruit is here now, Chris. Like, as you said, you can watch shows like Loki, Thor Ragnarok, and Thor Love and Thunder next year. It's centered around these characters, frankly, in a lot of ways. And you can go back and watch Thor 2 and you say all the seeds were there. And and I actually enjoy Thor 2 more now because of how strong these characters are now in the MCU. Will that happen for the Eternals? Probably. Hopefully. I think so. I so really, really get do better, believe so. Right? In theory. Yep. Right now, it frankly doesn't make a lot of sense because it truly is our first insanely big exposition dump movie. Exactly. And I think they did that on purpose because I don't think we're getting another one in this phase. <laughs> no, we're doing Ant-Man 3. We're doing Thor 4. Yep. I mean, yep. Well, and to be honest, they're going to take risks this phase with shows. Like when we're getting shows like Moon Knight, like Miss Marvel, like oh, She Hulk. It's great. It's great. That's what we want, truly. I mean, we want risks in those areas because shows can be a little bit more risky by inherently by their structure. And like comic books, mm-hmm. they're rewarding us, the people that podcast and just think about these these things and watch everything MCU. You know, these these are our rewards, are, are these nice little shows, because clearly we like television, and these are really good television shows that tie into the fabric of this huge world, and uh, we're the ones that experience the whole world. That's fun. I couldn't agree more. And like, what's exciting, Chris, is you got to think about this in the context now of the MCU going forward, tying back to our discussion at the beginning of this episode. They're about to start taking weird risks with Spider-Man and stuff, too, because they're going to tie our new through line basic MCU, which we said is going to be centered around characters like Thor, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel. And they're going to start tying that to the greater super big cosmic multiversal things like Kang, which is coming, as we know. And I think Spider-Man is going to be our first foray. And I think it's going to be so exciting to not only Spider-Man fans like myself, but just to the MCU fans as a whole, because I think we're going to kind of get a half and half. We're going to get a MCU crowd-pleasing movie, a Doctor Strange Spider-Man movie, and then we're going to get a, well, the fabric universe is changing, and everything's bleeding through, and it's all different now. And I think Spider-Man's obviously going to do well, but it's more how it's received going onward because the MCU is not going to be the same, because not everybody's seen Loki yet. But they're going to, after Spider-Man, they're going to go watch it. <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen with Eternals, too. Mm-hmm. It is exactly what's going to happen. They're going to show up and it's going to be an awesome movie. And people are going, I want to spend more time with these characters. I want to see that backstory. There you go. And then they're going to have the same opinion we have right now. Oh, I kind of liked it, but it wasn't great. <laughs> hey, man, 
I like movies that aren't great. I like lots of movies that are not great. It is not a negative comment. It just is what it is. Well, and sometimes in these universes, like it's hard, especially for reviewers, Chris, I point at them right now. It's hard for them to see the greater narrative and the things that are, things that are being set up. And sometimes there's just set up movies and that's how it goes. I mean, it's why we have episode two in Star Wars. I'm just saying, you know, it's probably one of the weakest Star Wars movies and I'm a massive fan. And I can say that because it's really just setting up the Clone Wars, the end of the Clone Wars, the original trilogy. There's movies that exist that are not as good as other movies in the same franchise because they're kind of doing the hard thing. They're kind of setting up something else that's going to be better. <laughs> I'm not saying the Eternals wasn't an enjoyable movie. I'm just saying it's clearly not perfect. And that's okay because it's not that type of movie. But the payoff is going to be awesome for us fans, I think. If it's not, I will actually be very disappointed mm -hmm. because sure. I have, I've come to expect payoffs for my, you know, level of dedication to watching all these things and it's true. buying tickets and things. So I have every faith in them at the moment until they prove that they've lost it or can't, you know, do it. I'm still here. Couldn't agree more. This is one of the weirdest MCU movies, Chris. It's not weird with the context now we have the shows and we've seen the things they do in those differently. But it is weird if you've only seen the MCU, if that makes sense. Like to a normal moviegoer. It's very strange. Yeah, the casual the casual MCU fan, you mean? The casual MCU fan. I mean, we haven't even mentioned yet, but I mean, there's there's a PG-13 sex scene in this film. They're taking more risks than just the exposition sci-fi dumps. They're taking true. risks. It's true. There's our first on camera in the major MCU movies as a major character, LGBTQ couple, married couple. Like there's a lot of things in this movie that they actively took risks on to pay dividends in the future. And I'm thankful for that. And some people are going to love that. And a lot of people are going to hate it. And that's also okay. And not every movie is Avengers, you know, and it shouldn't be. And I think that's this movie is proof of that. And I think try to see this in cinemas. Try to see this, get a cinematic experience and enjoy it. And as Chris said, get ready for the future because it's about to get really cosmic. I'm very excited. Furious Finest supported by our wonderful patrons. Go to patreon.com slash Furious Finest to become a patron. Follow our show on social media. Find us on Twitter at Furious Finest Cast and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Furious Finest. Got any ideas, questions, inquiries, collaborations, email us at FuriousFinest at gmail.com. If you can leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, it really helps us out. Of course, Apple Podcasts is the best, are the best, but you know, any podcast review truly helps us out and helps the show grow. And like Jesse said, guys, every little bit helps. And we are just truly, truly thankful for everyone who has done any of it for us. And it's just, it's amazing. You guys make us feel great all the time. And, uh, you know, thank you. But please help spread the word, rate, review, and subscribe. You can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and that Facebook Marvel Christ Protocol group at Jesse Aiken. My name is Jesse Aiken everywhere. It's, it's my name on just everything straight up. I'm not doing any weird screen names or anything. It's just Jesse Aiken, J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Chris, where can everyone find you? Well, I do do weird screen names, but you can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, -T, where I tweet sometimes. I'm tweeting again to you. It's Twitter. It's fun. I recently was tweeting about getting fully back in Star Wars Legion, showcasing my terrain, 
because a local tournament which is awesome. needed four tables worth of terrain. And I brought that to a, a tournament, which Chris and I will talk about in a bonus episode. And it was a huge blast. We talked about it on the patron discord for Fury's Finest. Of course, when you're a patron, you get to be a part of the discord. But Chris, I'm most excited that Spider-Man is out right now when this episode's out. You and I are talking. It's out. It's crazy because I'm going to be honest, man. I, I didn't think this day would ever exist in my life. It's just one of those things. Like, I am a fan of everything Spider-Man, even the bad stuff. I know. Because there's so much good in all the bad. Oh, sure. And it's one of those things, like, without the Rami Spider-Mans, you and I would not even be having a discussion right now on this podcast about an MCU movie called The Eternals. Because we, we have to give credit where credit's due to movies like Blade and Spider-Man in the late 90s. Well, I'll give a lot of credit to Blade. Blade was truly first, but what I'm saying is so Spider-Man awesome. literally pulled a 77 Star Wars all over again for the world. It changed blockbusters forever, you know. Spider-Man won. And we are where we are now. And it's a crazy thing and to have even the possibility of a multiverse of Spider-Man on top of a multiverse of Marvel. It's just crazy, man. Like the possibilities are endless. I'm not even saying fan service. I'm saying we have things now potentially in our universe where we could have our new Wolverine and Hugh Jackman comes into a scene and pats him on the back and says, you're going to do good, buddy, or something. Because Logan happened and it's still canon. But you get what I'm saying. Well, yeah, it was a different different universe. But we yeah. can still have Hugh Jackman pass the torch to oh, a we new Wolverine absolutely now. Absolutely And can. we should because if Spider-Man's opening up this door, it's a door that's only going to get more people in seats. And it's, it's a door that's going to have fans just move on in a positive way, you know, not it, it. it's very respectful of fans of like you and I like love Logan, right? It's very respectful to that. But it's also like, but here's the new Logan. Here's the new Wolverine. We're moving on. You know, there's a passing of the torch. This is good stuff. I mean, that's why shows like Hawkeye exist now. And I think it's more effective than if we just were done with Jimmy Renner, you know? Hawkeye is so good. <laughs> it is really good, but it's a different good. It's a completely different good, which I kind of love tonally. Dude, it's diehard. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just saying like Spider-Man's about to open the doors, not only on the MCU, but just yeah, this world that we have grown up in, which is the 90s to now, which is 2022, essentially, of superhero movies that didn't really exist outside of Superman and Batman films before that. And that's what I'm saying. Like We've lived through 30 years of superhero movies, and they're kind of like tying a bow on all of it, but not in a silly way, you know? Like, it's it's acknowledgement and moving on. I think that's good. It is probably good. And I'm sorry, but Willem Dafoe is the Green Goblin. So, let's just get him. If it's one movie, that's fine. Ah, uh, no. 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 Norman Osborn <laughs> stays around. <laughs> I hope. Very much. Because that was always the problem with- I'm tempering my expectations. pre-MCU. Yeah, I know. I am trying to as well. Because, believe it or not, the Tom Holland MCU Spider-Man, I, I just adore. Yeah, of course. Spider-Man in the comics, I can take or leave, depending on the writer. It's usually good, but it's just not a character that resonates with me all the time. Sure. But Tom Holland's Spider-Man, dude. He's so good. These MCU uh, Spider-Man movies have been so good. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited at the prospect of getting the possible Spider-Men movies. Yes. Oh, but there's also, are we going to get the mutants? I don't know. Like, what's... There are so many things, and I didn't even want to say the M word I know. because, you know, tempering expectations and things. But, man, it's just – it's I don't have any expectations other than to be excited about whatever it is. 
I'm not going to pick what it should be in my head. I'm not going to write any headcanon. I'm just eagerly anticipating and I trust where we're going. I do too. And we're on the precipice right now. And, you know, I'm a little biased because I am such a fan of Spider-Man and the mutants in particular. And I did enjoy most of the movies that came out for them up to this point. So it's one of those things like, at least in the way of casting, right? And that that's truly the big sure. win of all this is like us getting some of these actors back. It's just a huge win because it's one of those things like they've even improved over the years. I mean, it's crazy to say that Willem Dafoe has improved since 2000 to 2020. He has. Have you seen The Lighthouse? It's a crazy movie. He's an incredible actor. He's he's a wild man. I love him. And he could play Goblin forever. But what I'm saying is like they're like tying the pop culture of our world, Chris, to the MCU pop culture thing we got. It's there's a lot, you know? It's one of those things like Tom Holland was five years old and he was watching the first Spider-Man movie and he was obsessed with it. And now he's Spider-Man. You know what I'm saying? Like he was watching Willem Dafoe in the movie as the villain and now, now he's fighting him. It's an amazing world we live in that, you know, with technology, with creative people getting together with ideas, you know, they're acknowledging the pop culture of the past, moving on and, you know, expanding these characters and stories. And we're on the precipice. And you have to, you and I have talked about this all year, but I mean, this is the end of this year, right? And we're going to talk about this again in our Spider-Man episode soon, but it's like, this is it. From here onward, it's a brave new world in the MCU. And we're, it started. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. And you know what's best about this, Chris, is those people that turn off did not get this whole discussion at the end, you know? We start going through those social media rules and stuff, you know? So I know. Th- I know. This is a little treat that you and I are just leaving here at the end uh, that we'd probably reserve for a bonus episode, frankly. I don't know. It's a good time to be a, Mar- a Marvel fan. <laughs> it's a great time to be a Marvel fan. Um, Gosh, there's just so much. I'm just excited to watch the next episode of Hawkeye. So whatever. Fair enough. But that's it for this episode, listeners. We hope you enjoyed our discussion about the Eternals. You know, it's been an interesting year, Chris. Black Widow, Shang-Chi, the Eternals, they're all so different. All got a lot of pros and cons. I mean, I feel like we have to listen to our episodes now and like see where our allegiances truly lie. That's a really good idea. Um, Yeah, they're really, they, the MCU is really stretching its legs as far as, you know, choices and storytelling just all of it they're they're really experimenting so we'll see if they can branch out and tell more than that uh you know formulaic marvel phase one movie or you know phase yeah phase which whatever. no i i, I love them i love them all don't get me wrong um i love the hero's journey but like sure you know they're they're trying to do do some different and i like different i am different so you know i hope it works i'll just say off the cuff my ranking of this year it's pretty simple. I think it goes Shang-Chi, Eternals, Black Widow, best to worst this year of the films. Uh, Yeah, I agree. But they all have merits of their own, you know, that the other ones don't have. And that's probably where the risks lie, which is cool. I'll be rewatching uh, Eternals. Absolutely. Guaranteed. Well, thanks for listening. True Believers. Sex Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong.